Welcome to 2819. I'm Sandra Dimez. And I'm Daniel Lamagir. And on today's show, we're going to be discussing the topic of origin of racial diversity. That's a really good one. Yeah. And I know one that our viewers have a lot of questions about. For sure. So that's good. In Everyday Apologetics, we'll hear from Joseph Miller on human origins and race. And in Science Faith Connection, Jeff Zorin will be talking with his guest about racial diversity. First up will be Culture Talk. Sandra will be interviewing Fuzzle Rana on racial diversity and the Tower of Babel. So let's go ahead and check it out. Now it's time for Culture Talk, where we talk about culturally relevant topics that you can use to start conversations about your faith. And I'm joined today with Dr. Fuzzle Rana. Thank you so much for joining us. Sandra, thanks for having me. You're a biochemist, an author, and an all-around swell guy. So <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy to have you here. You know, we get a lot of questions on social media, and one of them that's pretty common is, where does racial diversity come yeah. from? Yeah. Um, we're going to explore a variety of explanations to see which one best fits the data. So let's first start with the scientific data. What is the scientific consensus for how racial, racial diversity originated? Yeah, well, today, uh, most anthropologists view really racial differences among mm -hmm. people as arising relatively recently in human history. Mm -hmm. And so when humans began to migrate out of Africa into the Middle East and then Asia, Europe, and then ultimately the Americas, there was, you know, isolation of individual populations and through microevolutionary mechanisms, natural selection, sexual selection, genetic drift that within really very short periods of time, these regional differences emerge in, in human beings. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's a relatively recent phenomena that seems to have uh, adequate explanation mm -hmm. in, in microevolutionary mechanisms. I want to touch on the microevolutionary mechanisms in a little bit, but first let's get to the biblical explanation. Yeah. What is the biblical expl explanation for racial diversity? And um, I recognize, because I'm saying the biblical, um, but I recognize that there are right. multiple interpretations. So what is one, or right. name a few? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, you know, just there really isn't a biblical explanation mm -hmm. for racial diversity. It, the scripture is really silent on that. Mm -hmm. But there is, has been a, a, a very checkered history of how people have interpreted the biblical text as a way to actually justify racism. Yeah. So during the, the Civil War time, for example, in here in the United States, uh, people looked at Genesis 9 and the curse of Ham mm -hmm. as being essentially a, a reflecting the introduction of, of, of color mm -hmm. into, into humanity as a result of the, the curse of Ham and that they viewed people of color as being people that were cursed and mm -hmm. used this as a means to justify slavery because Noah said that, that Canaan, the, the son of Ham, and his descendants would all be slaves. Yeah. Uh, so that's a you know, horrific interpretation that almost universally biblical scholars would reject today. Mm -hmm. uh, another thought is that maybe at, at the time of the Tower of Babel when humanity was scattered, that racial diversity was introduced there. Mm -hmm. The text doesn't say that. It says the languages were confounded, mm -hmm. but it doesn't say that um, that there was racial diversity. Yeah. So the text is really silent, but it seems to me like that's probably the place where we would most likely see racial diversity mm -hmm. emerging because as you know, people have distinct languages, they're going to naturally separate from each other. Mm -hmm. And that separation will allow for microevolutionary mechanisms to, to kick in and, and, and generate 
regional differences in yeah. human beings. I want to touch on that term again because you used it again, uh, microevolutionary changes. Right. So that might, you know, cause some viewers to, to react and that, oh, that right. means evolution is true. Is that what you're saying? Or what, what do you mean by microevolutionary as opposed to right. um, life coming from non-life? Yeah, well, what I mean by that is you might say it's another way of describing it is adaptation, mm -hmm. right? That, that we see organisms having the ability to respond to changes in the environment mm -hmm. uh, and, and um, have these, like the Galapagos finches mm -hmm. changing beak size and body size, for example, in response to different types of climate, that there's this mechanism that's built into the creation that allows for organisms to adapt to their environment. So as, for example, as humans began to migrate into northern latitudes, that uh, going from a dark skin pigment to a lighter skin pigment allows for more efficient vitamin D production, mm -hmm. which would be necessary in the northern latitudes where you have low amounts of sunlight. There's not a, a fundamental change in human beings. It's just a, a superficial change that reinforces sur survivability in those different environments without fundamentally changing right. you know, the, the, the organism. So that would be how we would see racial diversity arise in humans. So when we look at the scientific data and then a biblical interpretation where you're saying it's silent, but possibly the Tower of Babel. So do those align if we look at the timeline of when humanity dispersed from Africa right. and the time of the Tower of Babel? Like, is there some alignment there? Yeah. Well, I mean, what you see with the scientific explanation is that, first of all, uh, the very first people most likely would have looked like African people groups mm -hmm. today. And, and so when humanity began to migrate to different parts of the world and began to spread out, that's when regional differences emerge, mm -hmm. and they emerge quickly. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about the biblical text and the scattering of people mm -hmm. around the world because of the confounding of the languages, mm -hmm. that would have been something that seemingly would have happened fairly quickly and it is a result of a dispersal. Mm -hmm. So you see that, that harmony between yeah. the biblical account and the scientific record. Well, I think that's definitely very helpful for someone who's kind of coming at this, maybe from a skeptical perspective. Um, speaking of like a skeptical perspective, you gave the example of how, you know, decades ago, the Bible would have been used to show why slavery is right. something that needs to happen or should happen, um, showing an inferiority. Right. Um, how can we have conversations, especially today with a lot of racial tension, how can we have conversations about racial diversity from a biblical perspective um, that really affirms the, the diversity and um, uplifts people and doesn't right. make them feel like yeah. we're going to use this to uh, show inferiority. Right. Well, I mean, I think, first of all, scientifically, there's no justification for racism mm -hmm. because scientifically, the data indicates that we all had a recent origin in a single location and that all humanity ultimately comes from this original population, you know, in Africa, you know, and that we all are ultimately Africans under our skin. Uh, so there, scientifically, there's no justification. Biblically, there's no justification either because we believe all humanity comes from an Adam and an Eve, that we all are in Adam, mm -hmm. you know, and that, um, that uh, we all bear God's image as human beings. And 
that in the gospel we recognize that there is a a unity that we all share in Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, as Paul said, there's no free or slave, Jew or Gentile, male or female. We all are the same in Christ. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that we should whitewash away the fact that there are ethnic differences of in people in the world, that we there are, you know, racial differences or regional differences. Mm -hmm. To me, th those are things that we should celebrate yeah. and appreciate and, and and really treasure mm -hmm. that there are these these differences, but those differences should never be viewed as something that divides us, right? right? But it's something that we celebrate and, and, and appreciate, but yet recognize that in those things that are the most important to who we are as human beings, whether we think about it biblically or scientifically, we really are the same people. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for that, Fuzz. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, go to reasons.org and search for where did the races come from? Did human beings evolve or were we created in God's image? And does it even matter? I mean, we're faced with so many issues today, social justice issues, issues about other types of injustices in our world. So why should we spend time debating about our origins and arguing about evolution? I'm joined today by Dr. Joe Miller, a Christian scholar, who's going to help us answer some of those questions. Uh, Joe, welcome. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me, Fuzz. Yeah. So first question is, why should the average person on the street care about an academic debate about uh, the origin of humanity? Yeah, that's actually a great question because I, I get that a lot and I understand that there's a concern like, hey, we're getting overly academic or too much into the science or too much into you know, doctor, biblical doctrines that don't seem to connect to the real issues that drive people's passions or the urgencies of, that we see in, in the world around us. And so uh, I guess the easiest way to illustrate the importance of this going beyond just the, the halls of academia or, you know, the walls of a church kind of issue. Uh, back in, in the 60s, at the height of the uh, you know, civil rights movement mm -hmm. in Birmingham, Alabama, there was uh, a, a sanitation strike. And these uh, African-American, these black workers had all these signs and the signs said, I am a man. And these signs are iconic in terms of the, the, this moment in history and what it meant for uh, black civil rights and liberties in the United States. But the reason that sign was so important is because in part, it wasn't just about they didn't have political freedoms or that there was problems, you know, stemming from Jim Crow era type laws or segregation laws. It's that people looked at them and said, you're not really a human being. You're less than a human. And that debate, that battle goes back, you know, 100 years to the time of Darwin and beyond him, being before him, to be honest. But, you know, it came to a head, this sort of at least the scientific arguments against the full humanity of certain people groups. And so if we're going to really address the concerns of, of those men who are having to fight for their rights to say, I am a man, then we need to care about this type of issue. Yeah. So, so how does a biblical perspective weigh in on, on this question then? Yeah. Well, I think it's really important because whether we look at Christians in the past who have uh, done unjust things or non-Christians in the past, I mean, they're both have equally committed many sins. So that's, you know, that's on the table. We all understand that. But I think in my study, what I've looked at and what I've seen in history is that those Christians who have been guided by a strong biblical uh, hermeneutic that have a clear understanding of biblical doctrine and then tried to consistently apply that to those social issues 
they were constrained. They were, they were held back from just following the crowd. And so if we're going to stand against, you know, the tide uh, when it's not always acceptable to stand against injustice, then we've got to be tied and moored to something that transcends our culture. And that's the importance of a, of a strong biblical worldview and biblical doctrine. Yeah. And of course, you know, the, the doctrine that uh, figures centrally in yeah. this conversation is the idea that human beings bear God's image. So how, how does that, you know, connect to social issues like racism? Yeah, that, that's actually where I started years ago. It's, it's when I started in my, my, even before my PhD stuff, I, I saw a lot of young people that I spoke with and talked with just didn't really care for understanding the biblical theology, even in Christians. They're like, well, what, what does that matter to my life? You know? Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, how can I come up with an issue that people care about and connect that to an important biblical doctrine? And where it came was I looked at the issue of race and said, this is really the the boilerplate issue of the, of the day, and this is going to get more and more contentious, what, what biblical doctrine speaks most directly to that? And I said, well, it's probably human creation. The idea of Adam and Eve created as the sole progenitors of all living humans. And so I started to say, can I make a case that that core doctrine provides a clear foundation that protects against you know, dehumanization and against racism. And it took me a lot of years to kind of really know if I could even make a legitimate case for that. But I think, I think there is a clear case that that kind of a doctrine really provides the best foundation for working against those kinds of injustices that we see in our world. Yeah, because as I've heard you say when we've been chatting, is that, you know, really what ultimately flows out of the idea of the image of God is that each human being is sacred. Yeah. It's not only that there's infinite value and worth to human lives, but but as yeah. image bearers, we, we are sacred beings. Yeah, and, and that's the struggle. I mean, that's really the linchpin. It's such a, I remember when I first started to write the idea of human sacredness, or we are sacred beings instead of human dignity, right? I, the problem with words like dignity, and, and all people on all sides will acknowledge, it's a squishy word. We don't really know what it means, and we can't really define it. Even the UN Declaration on Human Rights recognizes that it doesn't even make an attempt to say, we, we, we don't even know what the foundation is, but you can come up with your own foundation. We're just going to assert these are human rights based on human dignity. But they agreed there's no consensus on what even guaranteed those things outside of any one particular cultural perception or worldview. But the problem is when our rights are tied to culture, the rights can be diminished when the culture shifts. And so that really is the idea. So tying human sacredness is more than just a language change. It's more than just an ideological shift. It's saying we our value is tied to something that transcends culture and transcends politics. Yeah. And of course, from a Christian worldview perspective, if uh, every human being is sacred because they bear God's image, mm -hmm. then it's the idea that the way you're treating another human being would be the way that you would be treating God himself as, yeah. you know, as yeah. image bearers. And that that's you know, profound, right? Yeah, it's that even my my own body doesn't belong to me. Your body doesn't, we belong to God who created us. We are caretakers for the, for the bodies, this world that he gave us, you know, he's given us. So issues like even environmental care or human care, you know, they all tie to the fact that our, our obligation rests with the God who made us. And when that's the case, we realize I have a standard that I have to live to that's higher than what any culture sets or even what I might think is comfortable for me personally. Like I have to live my own life in a way that honors the God who made me because I'm his.
Hello, Jeff Zwerink here, and welcome to Science Faith Connection, the segment of our show where we explore important scientific ideas and see how they relate to the truth of Christianity. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Fuzz Rana, and we're going to be talking about the origin of human races. Fuzz, good to have you in the studio today. Jeff, thanks. So before we get into the discussion of science and what does science have to say about where did the races come from, as a Christian apologist, how would you characterize or describe why we have the races that we do? Well, I think largely the biblical text is silent on the origin of the races. We do have the Tower of Babel where mm -hmm. the human language was confounded and people were forced to scatter. And so presumably as a result of that event, racial diversity originates in, in the human population. But that's really the best we could do from a, from a biblical perspective. So, so the idea there would be you've got all of humanity there and just as they spread across the globe, races develop somewhere after the original, uh, original human pairs, if you will. Yes, exactly. Okay. So let's kind of switch over then to the scientific uh, explanation. What What's, what's the scientific, current state-of-the-art scientific explanation for that? Yeah, well, you know, um, right now, um, uh, many people believe they've got a really good explanation for how uh, racial diversity or regional diversity originates mm -hmm. in humans. And in many respects, today, the, the model for the origin of humanity has similarities to the biblical model, where it's referred to, roughly speaking, as the out-of-Africa model, where you have a humanity originating recently, about 100,000 years ago in a single location, East Africa, from a relatively small population of individuals mm -hmm. that then began to migrate around the world through the Middle East into Asia, Europe, and then ultimately into the Americas. And, and so it's believed that when a relatively short period of time, regional diversity originates in humanity where the first humans likely look very similar to African people groups today. So in some sense, th those explanations look very similar. I mean, right. th there may be differences obviously in there, but that seems very similar. Has that always been the case with the scientific explanation? That, that wasn't what I recall from my early, you know, like I was in high school biology, if you will. Right. Well, uh, much of the, the views on the origin of racial diversity was shaped by an idea called multi-regionalism, uh, which is this idea that humanity began about two million years ago as mm -hmm. a, in a primitive form, and that this primitive human form migrated to different parts of the world, and then in different regions of the world independently evolved from a primitive form to a modern form. Mm. But because these groups were largely isolated, as a result, you know, regional differences or racial differences emerged. And so, you know, the view was always that racial diversity would have been something that would have required about two million years to emerge. Mm. And so with the out of Africa model being proposed, one of the serious challenges was how do you explain the origin of racial diversity mm -hmm. in such short order? Uh, which is a similar problem that many people leveled against the biblical text. Well, how can you explain the origin of racial diversity in a biblical model uh, in a relatively mm -hmm. short order? And in response to that challenge, people working um, in anthropology today have produced really a, a viable mechanism for how in a relatively short order of time, regional differences could emerge. 
This that that change seems to be you know one from the from the scientific explanation of okay shortening the time scale on how they arose that's that's important but it also seems to have a very different flavor of how you look at racial diversity uh, you know in the out of Africa and the biblical model humanity is humanity we just have these physical differences that have changed as we've migrated around the world the multi regional approach your race is intimately tied to your evolutionary history, which now humanity is not humanity, if you will. Right. Um, what is it? That, that, that's a big, that seems like a very big change to me. It is. I mean, in the, in the current climate, racial differences among people are largely considered to be superficial differences, mm -hmm. right? That, again, arose recently, where the idea is that all human beings again, have a genetic homogeneity to them because we all have a very recent origin from, you know, again, from that same population. Whereas in multi-regionalism, as you're pointing out, again, racial diversity reflects a, a, a long evolutionary history. And it's much more prone, I think, to being exploited for racism mm -hmm. than is the current climate. And so in the biblical model and in the recent out-of-Africa model, the, the, the emphasis is on the unity of humanity, right, where the regional differences are superficial. In multi-regionalism, that's not the case. So, I mean, sociologically, I'm not going to, you know, why that might have, why science might have developed that way, I'm not so interested. I guess the question I would have is, Given the the multi-regional idea out there, what was the evidence that actually drove it towards the out-of-Africa way of looking at things? Well, it was essentially the, the genetic unity that you see in humanity the, and, and then the genetic differences from people groups in different parts of the world. Working backwards from that difference, it's very clear that humanity must have come from a very small population that existed recently and that the, the differences, again, are uh, differences that would have arisen in a relatively short order. So it was really the, the genetic data that, that drove the, the support for the out-of-Africa model and undermined the idea of multi-regionalism. Again, I was just, I'm sitting here thinking, that, that is a pretty profound shift, though, and it's, it strikes me as one of these places where what science thought for a long time had philosophical implications for what does it mean to be human, where the the scientist as we grow as we grew our understanding, particularly with the genetic data, really seemed to drive us towards. I don't know that anybody would say, "Oh, out of Africa, yeah, that's a creation model," but it looks a lot like it. Right. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of similarities, um, you know, to be certain. And you know, to me, what's astounding is how rapidly. Again, we think regional differences could emerge. Some of it is, is just natural selection. So people living in northern latitudes actually benefit from having lighter pigmented skin because it, it allows for more efficient vitamin D synthesis. Mm -hmm. And people with darker pigmented skin, for example, living near the equator would have greater protection against the harmful effects of UV radiation, which not only prevented skin cancer, but also would prevent the loss of folic acid, uh, which is very critical for successful pregnancies. You know, the, the elongated noses are beneficial 
in northern latitudes where you have colder air, it's a mechanism for warming the air before it gets to the lungs. Uh, Barrel-shaped bodies retain heat. In the equator, elongated bodies more efficiently radiate away heat. But these are really superficial differences that may provide some benefit for people in, in different parts of the world. But these are the types of differences that could emerge very quickly in, in just a few generations. So uh, we understand how, how this regional diversity would have emerged, which is, again, a, a very important piece of the puzzle because it means that you know, regional differences don't require two million years to emerge as you know, multi-regionalism required. Well, thanks, Fez. I really appreciate your comments. You know, it really is the case that if you're trying to make an argument for the human races 30, 40, 50 years ago, the dominant scientific idea really hits at the heart that all people are human humanity, that there's not these major differences. And yet the scientific advances over the last few decades have really driven the scientific idea towards one that's very consistent. In fact, I think largely mirrors the biblical description of the races. You know, if you found this interesting and want to know how to use and how to understand this more, we encourage you to go to reasons.org and look for Fuzz's article on this. Where did the human races come from? We'll give you some insight into how do we explain the races? How does that match with what the Bible has to say? And how can we use this to go out and share the gospel? We hope this episode of 2019 has helped equip you to share your faith with compassion and confidence. And you know what? I had a great time really learning yeah. about racial diversity because that's a big question people ask. It where is. where do right. we see this diversity and how do we explain it from a scientific versus a biblical mm -hmm. perspective? It's really, really interesting. Yeah, personally, I love, I always love hearing from Joe Miller. Yeah. I always feel like he's, since he's a teacher, he's so good at explaining things in a way that um, is easy to understand, easy yeah. to follow. So, yeah. no, for sure. And then hearing from Dr. Rana and hearing, mm -hmm. Um, just the, how the blending of biblical and scientific interpretations really um, do complement each other. I yeah. think that's very helpful. Absolutely. That's the whole point of the show, guys. Yeah, for blending sure. Blending faith and science. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, speaking of the show, be sure to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at 2819show. And don't forget to subscribe to the Reasons to Believe YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And if you like the audio version of the show, we're available on your favorite podcast app. Just search Reasons to Believe Podcast. See you next week. See ya.